welcome to episode 87 of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Oh, yes. Coming to you. Practically. Practically live from mm. high, above, uh, high above the Mellow Mushroom yeah. in, in busy metropolitan Franklin, Tennessee. Now, have you, have you been experiencing the heat wave and the cold wave? And, you know, I've, I've heard about these things. I caught the tail end of the heat wave. We can get all the down and dirty details from the man who was here uh, yeah. through the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, Allie and I were in Colorado and Wyoming and South Dakota where they were complaining of the heat, and it was all of 92. Uh, <laughs> well, wait, wait, wait. With that, you got to talk about because, you know, we've got a lot of uh, – friends that are navigators and spend a lot of time at the main navigator castle and yeah. you were at the castle i was at the, the castle fire broke out yeah spoke at the section skinny conference on the first night had a great start to the conference uh the next day uh, i went with matthew ward through the garden of the gods park which is next door to the castle mm. and the following day the fire broke out i had nothing to do with it uh, but <laughs> we we Good. saw we saw the column of smoke from Matt Ward's uh, deck. He mm. lives about five miles away. You look uh, across the valley, past the Air Force Academy, over toward Garden of the Gods, and we. I think Allie was the first to spot the smoke. Oh wow! Uh, first of us to spot smoke, and you know, first it was a 200-acre fire, and then a 400-acre fire, and then mm. pretty soon they were evacuating the conference center and. Mm. And the weather was hot and dry, uh, with winds that changed direction twice a day. It was impossible, really, for well over a week for firefighters to get control over it. The big C-130s came in, but because of the wind, uh, they weren't able to fly uh, for several days. Hmm. So by the time it was over, there was one dead, one missing, nearly 15,000 acres burned. Wow. But uh, and 350 homes lost. But fortunately, um, Glen Erie was spared. Um, mm. And uh, anyway, but we so we got our taste, and it seemed like those fires followed us. Allie and I were out there for two weeks, and wherever we went, we could see fire in the Rockies or in the Grand Tetons or out by Fort Collins. Even when we went up into South Dakota, there was a fire in the Black Hills, right close to Spearfish, where we stayed. Wow. Meanwhile, jeez, I, I don't, I can't follow that, man. <laughs> yeah, but meanwhile, it was, I mean, over a hundred for better than a week here in Franklin. Yeah, man, um, hundred and six, one hundred seven downtown. Um, and walking down the street down Broadway at around three o'clock in the afternoon when it's mm -hmm. one hundred six, it feels like a hundred and sixty. Yeah. When, as the automobiles are passing by you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you feel in the heat, and you feel like you're walking on a skillet in, yeah. the, in the pavement area. And uh, then I look over, and I figure I can't complain because I see some guys actually working and laying pavement, fixing oh. potholes oh. In, in this heat. Oh, so as much as I'm complaining while I'm walking to Chewy's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know, I look over and see these guys just dying. I'm yeah. like, oh, my gosh, man. I mean, power went out. Uh, I do believe, man, um, I got a call from my wife. The power went out of our house. Yeah. So I was at work. I was downtown. My mother-in-law and my goddaughter were at the house, yeah. and the power went out. So that's yeah. the last thing you want is the, the power to go out, and there's no AC, 160-degree yeah. weather, and your mother-in-law is in the house. <laughs> <laughs> that's the last thing you want. And uh, so I called, uh, found out that 6,900 homes in the Smyrna area 
were uh, totally wiped out with electricity. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so, you know, of course, I, I called them. I said, look, I don't know what to tell you. Keep the refrigerator closed. You know, turn yeah. all the lights. You know, well, keep all everything, you know, close the doors, you know, yeah. do all that kind of stuff. And unfortunately, it came on within like 30 minutes. But, oh, yeah. But, I mean, it was scorching, man. Yeah. I mean, and fortunately, no, I had some rain last night, some good yeah. rain last yeah, night. Yeah, yeah. And it's cooled off. But, yeah, it's... Oh seven, I think it was the last time it was like this. About oh seven or something like that. Mm-hmm. My my heart really goes out to the millions of people uh, on the east on the eastern seaboard mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who uh, through this heat wave uh, because of that derecho that went through. I don't know how you pronounce that thing, but that crazy yeah. dry yeah. hurricane mm-hmm. uh, lost power for better than a week. Yeah. 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 Wow. Meanwhile, yeah. hasn't it been cooler than normal in your part of the country, Aaron? Did I see that on the internet on the worldwide interweb? I don't know. It's all felt pretty normal here. Really? It's, yeah, it's it's been a it's a great Fourth of July. It was like uh, low seventies. Oh shit! Oh wow! Oh man! Yeah. Well, you asked. It wasn't like I was picking on you. Gee, <laughs> gosh! This is a safe space here. Uh, it's safe to talk honestly. Yeah, yeah it was in the low 70s. Okay. <laughs> oh, man. All right. But All but right. we did. You know, it seemed like this was a bad year for fireworks in uh, in California. We had the San Diego thing, right? You saw that on the Internet? Oh, yeah, where all of San Diego's fireworks went up in about 30 seconds. Yeah, 15 seconds. 15 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> somebody's, somebody's not working in that industry next year. Yeah, didn't fuse uh, it quite right. But, but Maya, we hadn't seen fireworks for a, a number of years, and we went to Jenny's uh, grandmother's, who lives just a block off the uh, the pier in, in Cayucas. And my youngest son really was too young to remember his last firework experience. Uh-huh. And I was just waiting for the finale, and... Honestly, I was not real happy with it. They mm-hmm. shot everything up and made a huge cloud of smoke and then shot the rest of the finale into the cloud of smoke. I've never seen that happen before. <laughs> wow. So you couldn't see the fireworks. You just saw the smoke. glowing smoke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So And the wow. kids were like, well, that was pretty good. I'm like, no, it was usually better. It was usually better. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, when that's what you have to say, then, mm-hmm. then you know it wasn't as good as you were hoping. Yeah, yeah. So, but but it was very nice weather, so I won't complain. Oh man, there you go. That's cool. Well, I, I'm glad we've got a break in the weather. I've been looking at my calendar, knowing that I'm headed south tomorrow mm-hmm. with a couple of Samson guys, and I thought, who in the world schedules a trip going further south this time of year? Nate Larkin. But we've got a <laughs> we've got a we've got a, It looks like we'll hit some rain this week, but yeah. I'll be traveling with a couple of pirate monks from. From Franklin, my old friend Jack Frost and uh, Newton Dominey, and uh, really looking forward to it. We'll head out in the morning, and uh, Thursday night we'll be in Fort Worth, and Friday night in Houston, and Saturday night in New Orleans, and Sunday night in Jackson, Mississippi, and Monday night in Birmingham, and early Tuesday morning in Montgomery, Alabama. It sounds like one of those, uh, remember those tours back in the 50s where, like, uh, all the acts from one label would, would travel the South? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah, like yeah. every night they're in a different city. It sounds like you're going to be, like, in a 57 Chevy or something. <laughs> 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 With yeah. With the, like, you know, it has a cool factor to it, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty yeah, cool, yeah. man. <laughs> all right. Sweet. Well, you're traveling around and doing your thing. That is good. I'm glad to get to see some of the, yeah. the down South Pirates. 
Yeah, yeah, that's good, man. Really looking forward to connecting with the guys down there. Really cool. What have you been up to, man? Out there, outside being and, cool. Uh, well, I am in Berkeley right now, so okay. you will hear the metro going by during this podcast. Trying to finish some projects up here. Okay. Yeah. So I've got about a week and a half uh, here in a house. I am in the house of some people I do not know that was uh, lent to me by one of our pastor pirates. Okay. Uh, I heard he sent an email to the owners of the house. I hope he got a response saying it was okay that I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> All uh, right, if we have to I've bail seen, you I've out. I've seen pictures of the family around the house. They seem very nice. Yeah, that is weird. Do <laughs> you have any idea when they're supposed to come home? Uh, hopefully after I leave. So I did come home from getting some groceries yesterday, and there was a car in the driveway. I was like, oh, crap, what's happening? Yeah. But it was just street sweeping day, and so a neighbor had pulled their extra car in the driveway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so then I accidentally turned the sprinkler on it and uh, shot water in their window. So they won't be doing that next week. Yeah. Uh, show them. But, no, I, I love it. It is such an interesting little community here. The first night I went out, and within walking distance, there are Ethiopian restaurants, and I love getting to go hang out yeah, man. Yeah. in Ethiopian restaurants. And then afterwards, I went to this uh, British pub, very British, smells of, you know, fried uh, food and fried fish. And uh, there was this lone older man playing darts in the corner. And I went up and just said, hey, can I play with you? And he said, yeah. And he turned out that he was from Eritreu and learned to play darts in Ethiopia. And we wow. just spent all night hanging out, talking Ethiopia. Wow. So that's I cool. thought, this is great. So we're going to hang out at night when I'm done down in the pub playing darts cool, and man. talking Africa. and It's good. That Very sounds cool. excellent. Hey, what do you say we do a little mini-meeting here before we get to our guest? we got a great guest today. Buddy. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. All right, we'll be back in just a second here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Oh, pirate's life is a wonderful life for roving over the sea. You be your career as a buccaneer, it's the life of a pirate for me. Oh, the life of a pirate for me. It's time now for a... Me, 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 me. Oh, that was my... I chastised you last time and I went there. Yeah, yeah. okay. Right. Well, welcome to this mini-meeting of the Samson Society. For those who may have forgotten, we're a company of Christian men. We're also natural loners who've recognized the dangers of isolation and are determined to escape them. Natural wanderers who are finding spiritual peace and prosperity at home. Natural liars who are now finding freedom in the truth. Natural judges who are learning how to judge ourselves aright. And natural strong men who are experiencing God's strength as we admit our weaknesses. As Christians, we meet at other times for worship, for teaching, or for corporate prayer. Today, however, we meet to talk. Our purpose is to assist one another in our common journey. We do so by sharing honestly out of our own personal experience the challenges and encouragements of daily Christian living in a fallen world. We've now reached the sharing portion of our meeting. In, doing, in sharing, we speak honestly out of our own experience. We tell the truth about ourselves knowing that our brothers will listen to us in love and will hold whatever we say in strictest, strictest confidence. confidence. We try to keep our comments brief, taking care to leave plenty of time for others. We address our statements to the group as a whole rather than directing them toward any one person. And as a rule, we refrain from giving advice to others or instructing them during the meeting 
believing that such conversations are best reserved for private moments between friends. Our suggested topic today is... Drumroll, please. That's a terrible drumroll. Risk. <laughs> risk, I'm a drumroll. Risk. <laughs> risk. But we're not confined to that subject. You may speak about any issue that's currently commanding mm -hmm. your attention. The floor is open. Risk. What do you got on risk, boys? Wow. Mm. 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 At least we're giving noises for yes. that. Yes, for the um, pause. Mm -hmm. All mm -hmm. right, I'll jump. Since okay. I picked it, I'll okay. jump okay. first. Give right. you time to collect your thoughts. Yep. Um, Hi, Nate. Uh, oh, I'm Nate. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, okay, I'm Nate. Hey, Good Nate. to be All here. Right. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I really do believe that as much as I... Uh, am addicted to sex uh, grateful not to be you know the prisoner of that addiction today but certainly uh, vulnerable to it that's my weakness I know that's the hole in the wall right there uh, but it's it's not just sex um, I spent years doing crazy things with illicit sex I think as much for the adrenaline rush as anything else Something about doing the dangerous thing, crossing that line. I risked my reputation uh, daily. This was back in the day. I got started back in the day before you could access pornography in relative anonymity, you know, in the safety and privacy of your own home. I had to go out to X-rated theaters and adult bookstores and, uh, you know, in the same town where I was working in a church or working in a Christian school where I was trying to protect a, a reputation as a public Christian. Uh, you know, and when that behavior project, you know, progressed even to picking up hookers. I mean, I, was, I took crazy, stupid risks. Uh, I can remember still kind of my pulse beginning to quicken with the thought of what I would do long before actually getting there. And uh, I think there was a buzz that came from the anticipation. There, there was a buzz that came from courting disaster. Um, and uh, now, did I recognize the real risks? No. Uh, I minimized the risk to my reputation. I was blind to what this behavior was doing to my heart, what it was doing to my soul, uh, what it was doing to my wife and kids, how it was stealing my life a day at a time and destroying you know, my hopes and dreams and uh, the people I cared about. Um, I didn't see everything that I was putting on that altar every day. Um, but I was willing to take... Uh, risk, mm -hmm. crazy risk. Mm -hmm. um, and I really don't know what, what to make of that. Uh, in a way, I guess it shows that I have a certain amount of courage. Uh, and courage is not a bad thing. Um I don't want to fall into. Uh, I'm glad now that I that I live a a, a life that's pretty much, uh, you know, I try to stay between the ditches. 
uh, I, I've erected guardrails and I, uh, things for my own safety. I try not to t put myself in uh, recklessly in danger. That when we go on the trip tomorrow, uh, you know, I've got two guys with me. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I don't travel alone on the roads or, or uh, you know, on the internet. Um, but at the same time, um, I don't want to be. Uh, I don't want to become a person who's addicted just to safety, mm. and who takes no risks at all, and won't put have any skin in the game, and won't put anything on the line. I don't want to be that guy. Um, I love reading, you know, those stirring chapters in the Book of Acts where Paul talks about his missionary journeys. You know, those heart, mm -hmm. <laughs> the dangers that he faced day and night. The you know, the way he was willing for the sake of the gospel, uh, for the sake of the church, uh, to put his own life on the line, to risk his livelihood, uh, to lay his reputation down. Uh, I just want to challenge, I, I want to channel my courage in productive ways. Um, and uh, I want to take the right kind of risks. I'll stop there. So when... Uh Hi, Aaron. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, I'm Aaron. Hi. Hi, Aaron. <laughs> uh, I guess I I was thinking of risk in a, a very different way, uh, in more of a relational way, that I really... Risk to me feels a lot like vulnerability, and vulnerability is such a hard thing to do because if I can choose to do it, it means I controlled it in some way, and then it's not really vulnerable anymore, if that makes sense. So real risk is that out-of-control relational piece. But I am not a risk-taker. Um, I think that's one of one of the secrets that people don't understand about me because I'm always doing seemingly crazy things, but they're not. They're very calculated things. Mm -hmm. I I have counted the cost. I have a strategy. I know what's reasonable about it, and then I do it. It's more risk than most people are willing to take, mm -hmm. but to me, it's not risky. It's, it's an adventure, and I like the adventure. But I don't know how to truly let go. Living out of control, mm -hmm. that's, that's totally insane to me. That's really hard. And I guess, sort of like you said, there's part of that that's good, because in some ways I'm not supposed to be totally out of control. But when I think of the word risk, I think there's so many ways that I've tried to cultivate vulnerability, but that just adds layers of control <laughs> into the vulnerability where I'm trying to create opportunities for vulnerability. So it's just a really messy, confusing word to me. Mm. Just brings up a lot of stuff that we've been talking about in our Samson group. Yeah. You know, a bunch of pastors were the most controlling least vulnerable people on the planet. Uh, that's just an assumption that I'm making. 
an arrogant assumption. We're the best at being not vulnerable. <laughs> uh, so to me, risk just feels like that, that giant D minus in my life that I just don't even know how to honestly risk which kind of feels like standing there waiting for God to provide the opportunity. Yes. That's all I was thinking. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks, Aaron. Well, I'm Mondo. Hey, Mondo. Hey, Mondo. Uh, risk is interesting for me right now. Um, risk has, to me, a confusing meaning when it comes to... Um, exercising faith um, there's some things that are going on even right now that um, you know you you know God's in it mm -hmm. and you know there, there's things that are happening around you that you you're not responsible for but then all of a sudden this thing called your brain kicks in <clears throat> and it starts well what are the risks did you calculate the risk and you start saying, okay, well, you know, wisdom would say that you want to calculate your risk. Well, well, where does it say, you know, with God that when he says step in faith, that the next step is to calculate the risk? Mm. <clears throat> and I'm finding myself leaning on that a little bit, where basically I'm second-guessing God. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like, okay, I know in faith you figured it out. I don't know what's coming, but I need to understand this faith move slash risk for me to be at peace with it. Mm -hmm. And then that starts a whole other thing of well, why are you not listening to me? Mm -hmm. and, and as much as I want to listen and I am listening, it's just this battle of my brain will say, what's the risk? You know, it's, there's change. There's this. There's that. And it makes it, it makes, I think sometimes in my mind, I don't know if anybody else can relate, but that thing can make you question the faith move you know you're you know you're acting in faith but it's not really risk it's it's, it's planning fear mm -hmm. it's it's not really risk it's doubt mm -hmm. but we mask it with oh i'm just calculating the risk no you're doubting mm -hmm. and i've had to call myself out on it even now you know mm -hmm. um so it, it, risk is different for me right now um where there's, there's a lot of things out there that even if I were to explain it to most people, they will say, hey, you know, you got to calculate those risks and make sure that you're on top of things, this and that. Well, things that I am I feel that, you know, I'm I'm over, that I'm trying to create, yes, I calculate those things. But I don't I can't calculate what God is doing. I, my puny brain cannot even begin to understand that. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> so that's that's where I have to step back and check myself and have others check me. So get out the way, man. Mm -hmm. You know, and but it, it can get cloudy mm -hmm. sometimes. You know, you, you, I'm not saying that you just continue to do things. And you, you know, it's, it's really I think a discerning spirit to know when it's God and when it's something that uh, God has put in you for you to cultivate, mm -hmm. or is this the road that God put you on just to go? Mm -hmm. That's that's the confusing part. Yeah. Is it the go road or is it hey here's the bricks, Mondo, build the road for me? Mm -hmm. You know, so it's, it's it, it can get confusing. So uh, that's where I am right now on risk. I didn't expect to say that, but there you go. All right. I'm, I'm Mondo. <laughs> Thanks, Mondo. Yeah, you know, um, my name's Ted. Hey, Ted. Hey, Ted. Hey. 
Uh, it's interesting hearing you guys talk about this because uh, for the last 20 years, and I know I'll talk about this more in a little bit, but, you know, we've been doing these missions trips. And uh, the thing about going on a missions trip, it seems like no matter how long you've done it, no matter how much planning goes into it, no matter how, how much counting the cost and calculating the risk and developing a strategy, I love what you said, Aaron. I thought, that's exactly what I try to do. <laughs> and you get out there and uh, some factor from out of nowhere shows up and destroys your strategies. Mm-hmm. And when you've got a team of believers uh, across denominational lines, uh, you know, from different places in their faith, uh, this happens two or three times, and pretty soon everybody's looking around and uh, feeling out of control. Mm-hmm. And so the first thing we do when we're trying to feel out of control is to try to take control. Mm-hmm. And so then you've got four or five folks on the team all trying to seize control of this ship mm-hmm. you know, and make it go the right way because they've calculated, they've developed a strategy, and now they're going to be like, okay, I'll get this baby back on course. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that just leads to chaos, having all those cooks in the kitchen. And uh, so we've been dealing with this lately in, in our ministry and uh, having to try to get to the bottom of what's going on here. Where is this division coming from? And recognizing it comes from feeling out of control. It comes from people feeling like there's risk. And you guys all talked about control as, as this kind of antithesis, right, to risk. Mm-hmm. You know, like risk is the antithesis to control. We want to feel in control. And, and my pastor... On Sunday, uh, it seems like God just gives him things to share that hit me right where I'm at. Mm -hmm. And one of the points that he made uh, was that, you know, um, if if we are only willing to step out in faith when it makes sense to us, it really isn't faith, Mm -hmm. and it isn't even obedience. Mm -hmm. We are really only obeying ourselves. We're glad God agreed with us. Mm -hmm. And as long as he's willing to do it our way, then we'll step out. And I was just really kind of tripping on that because um, I realized that, you know, it seems like for us to really grow in our faith, for us to really do anything for God, means it has to be in a place sometimes where it doesn't make any sense to us at all. It isn't the way we do it. We can't calculate what the outcome's going to be. All we can be certain of, hopefully, is that God told us to do this, so we we need to start with that. If we know that, we, we obey, even mm-hmm. if it seems crazy. But that is the scariest thing in the world to do. I've been a Christian all my life that I can remember. You know, I remember at four years old, kneeling next to my bed with my grandma. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I haven't known what it's like to walk outside the faith. Mm-hmm. So I would think that I settled the faith thing a long time ago. But risk reveals very quickly. Mm-hmm. Lack of control reveals very quickly how faithless I really am. Mm-hmm. I'm really having faith in my understanding and ability to adapt to the strategies that I calculated. Mm-hmm. It's only when I'm out of control that I find out where my faith is really at. Yeah. Thanks, Ted. Thanks, Ted. Well, we'll be right back with more of Ted and more of the Pirate Monk podcast in just a moment. Well, we're back on the Pirate Monk Podcast and back with our guest of the week. You know, you, you're doing all the, the lead-ins, man. You're, you're not letting Mere Mondo do anything. Oh, that's right. That's just, we feel bad. Thank you for, thank you for speaking up. Um, I'm sorry. 
and I repent. Let's pretend I didn't even start that session, uh, that, that this section of the show. And uh, Aaron, why don't you do the lead-in? We're back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. <laughs> Special guest today, Ted Bruin. Nate, tell us about Ted. <laughs> that was good. That would be good. Yeah. yeah um, uh, well, Ted is uh, has become a close friend in a short amount of time. I met him briefly a, a few years ago when I spoke uh, in downtown Nashville at a, it was at a coffee house. It was a gathering for a small number of Christian artists. There may have been fifty, sixty people in the room. Mm-hmm. I met you after afterward. And uh, I think that was two or three years ago, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, got an invitation again this year to talk to the same group, although the group had grown enormously. Uh, uh, and now this is held right during uh, CMA week or, or a GMA week, mm-hmm. uh, an event called the Objective, a training session for independent Christian artists and bands. Which, uh, in contrast to most most things that go on during GMA week, was completely free. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, full days, several days of activities at Rocket Town, that terrific facility downtown mm-hmm. that Michael W. Smith and the boys put together. And uh, we connected, Ted and I, Ted had put that together, and we'll find out some more about the objective and about the extreme tour and what God's been doing with this man and through this man in 20 years. Uh, but it was after that that we got together for some coffee and found out that uh, you know, our hearts align. Uh, mm, yeah. Yeah. I've really enjoyed the time we've spent, Ted. So this is Ted Bruin, uh, founder and director of... Uh, what's the official name of your ministry? <laughs> well, uh, it started as the Extreme Tour, and uh, there were some things that kind of developed out of that tour that we haven't put a name to the overarching ministry anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um but we, we probably would call it the objective because our objective is to seek first the kingdom of God with our gifts, skills, and abilities. Yeah. So that kind of applies to everything, yeah. even things that aren't on a tour. So you're sending bands, Christian bands, to mm-hmm. play in venues that, don't, uh, that aren't normally served by Christian right. music. Right, right. In, uh, what, 120 American cities this year or something like mm-hmm. that? Yeah, yeah, this year about, yeah. Yeah. And, then, and not just in the U.S. any longer. Right, yeah, Canada, and uh, now we're developing uh, India, Sri Lanka, the Brazil, Brazil and the Netherlands. Those are the new areas that we're talking to pastors and putting together schedules and trying to figure out what it takes in terms of visas and stuff. Yeah. So you're sending... Now, now Aaron, you have some history with this guy. Yeah. I do. Yeah. Which, is, which was just odd when you brought him up a month or so ago, and, and I said, I know that name. Well, yeah, I... About Fifteen years ago, mm-hmm. uh, somebody called me and said, there's this extreme tour thing, and they just had a, a whole weekend canceled yep. in like two weeks or a week. It was a really short time. And can you make something happen? I'm like, what, what do you mean, make something happen? <laughs> no pressure. And, yeah, and, and I thought, well, that Friday night, my band was supposed to play on a beach, but I knew there, right up from that beach, there was maybe an available spot, and so that worked out. And then I happened to call, and this is this is kind of the funny 
I don't, I don't know if it was funny to Ted at the time. But. Not as much. It's funny to look back on. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was, actually, it wasn't funny to me. I was feeling a lot of pressure. I, I happened to call the the mission in San Luis Obispo, you know, one of the California missions. Right. And the they never let... Spanish mission, yeah. Yeah, they never let bands come. There's a, a huge park and an amphitheater, and they don't let bands come and do, like, rock concerts there. But the person in charge of the permits was on vacation. Ah. And because it was so time pressured, I talked the person who was just filling in into giving me all the permits. Oh, no. So we showed up with all the right paperwork, but the person who was in charge was back. Oh, no. So this is all day Saturday when everyone's having weddings in the historic mission. Oh, yeah. Meanwhile, Ted's bands are playing wedding music, I'm sure. Oh, sure, yeah. It's a lot of screaming. Yeah. <laughs> a little more like the marriage, maybe. But uh. <laughs> Yeah, and this and this sound system was, what, used for Madonna's tour right before that, right, wasn't it? Right, right. Yeah, Michael ja- we called the Michael Jackson year because uh, the sound company that uh, did the sound for Michael Jackson uh, donated uh, the guys to run it, the trucking, everything, uh, this three-quarter of a million dollar sound system. And, uh, yeah, it, it was insane. We'd pull up to some cities, and they'd start unloading the gear, and these guys from the cities would come up and go, no, 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 because of mountains of sound. Yeah. So so throughout the day, the people at the wedding were like, well, okay, because we had the papers to be there. Yeah, yeah. They're like, well, at least, like, here's when the weddings are happening. Can you stop during these times? Yeah. And then the police would come, and by the end, they were actually pulling ordinances out that were for car stereos. Yeah. So they said, well, it can't be beyond this dB. Yeah, but it was yeah. a ridiculous yeah. sound because it was for car stereos. Right, right. And uh, because of that day, they actually changed certain rules in the city of San Luis because of we had an impact. Praise the Lord! (laughs) (laughs) We made our mark. They'll never forget Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was our that was our story. Now it's an amazing thing. You're a guy who grew, you know, accepted the Lord at the age of four. Right. Right. Grew up in church. Mm Mm-hmm. You knew what it was like to be in church, but also kind of knew what it was like to be a social outcast, did you? Yeah. I, well, you know, my mom, uh, single-parent home, yeah. uh, dad left when I was young, and my mom worked a couple jobs uh, hard because she really believed it was important to put us in private school, uh-huh. uh, which I know that experience uh, carried a lot of benefit for yeah. us. I mean, I uh, certainly impacted my life in some great ways, but... It also perhaps had an impact that was not so great, and that was that I found myself surrounded uh, with a culture of kids who had uh, probably a, a little bit more means mm-hmm. than my family did. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, they either uh, were were more wrapped up in religion or at least wanted to appear that they were. Yeah. Uh, and I came from a single-parent home, which already was kind of like, you know, in the 80s, like a scarlet letter. Uh, yeah. You know, on your school uniform, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, uh, I always make a joke that I felt like the, the, you know, the tiger in the cage and they'd bring the group past. Me. Here's Ted. He's from a single home. And, you know, yeah, the kids yeah, yeah. Be like, oh, you know, right, like, right, yeah, yeah. And, and so for whatever the reason, whether it was because my clothing wasn't good enough or because I was uh, uh, from some sort of fractured family, I felt uh, like I completely didn't fit in. And I and I had enough experiences with my peers to uh to underscore that fact, uh, yeah. enough people, you know, uh, uh, my peers, my age, and the, you know, the fifth grade, you know, having a talk with me in front of other kids, you know, Ted, the the problem with you is, 
yeah, nobody's, you know, you're not going to get a job because nobody wants to hire you, and you're not going to graduate. And, and and I even had a kid tell me, and, and you know, you haven't had gotten a girlfriend yet. No one's ever going to love you. I'm oh, sorry. Wow, wow. And then they'd all high-five each other and walk off. I mean, I'm sure not understanding the impact of their words. Yeah. The problem with with interactions like that, especially when they repeat, is that long after those kids are gone, those interactions keep repeating. Yeah, yeah. In your head. And so here I am. I'm surrounded by the body of Christ. Right. Uh, I, because I was, this is a Christian school. Yeah, it's a Christian school. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, I'm, in, I'm active in youth group. Mm-hmm, I'm, you yeah. know, uh, and, and I'm, I'm having to start to wonder, though, if the things we're really talking about are real. Mm-hmm. It says, you know, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Yeah. You know, uh, and um, I'm, I'm these kids' brother and sister, and I, I was treated more like... The guy that, you know, yeah. if I, I started to feel like if there is a God and he's real and all this stuff is true, I will be the kid who gets the scholarship to heaven. You know, <laughs> you know I'll be their charity case that they yeah. bring in. And maybe, yeah. they'll, maybe I'll even have to get up in front of everybody while they show a slideshow of, you know, unfortunate children like me that, that they help out. Ted, share your story. And I'll be like, uh, I'm so glad to be here in heaven. Thank you, God, for, you know, yeah, yeah. that was how I felt. And that's a really cruddy place to be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you start to feel like a million you know, Elvis fans can't be wrong. I really must be worthless. Yeah. And so that's my that's my conflict. Yeah. I want to believe that all this stuff we're talking about is real, but on the other hand, I don't see it evidenced in my peers, which yeah. is my understanding of Christianity yeah. 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 at the time. So, raised in a Christian home, raised in church, raised in private school, uh... God was desperately real to me, and I say it that way because, I mean, I was desperate for it to be real. Yeah, yeah. My only hope yeah, yeah. was that God really loved me despite what all these other people thought. So then there's a pivotal experience on a right. class trip. You're off away from the group. Yep. And uh, Like every good loner. Yeah, every good loner. <laughs> you're out there. And uh, <laughs> some of us uh, kind of know the experience in a different context, but because uh, all of us have gone off one cliff or another. Yeah, uh, but you actually went off a cliff. Quite literally, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> not figuratively, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah I, uh, you know, Oregon coast, rugged, yeah. and uh, the best place to be alone is uh, uh, up on top of this rock called Proposal Rock, mm-hmm. uh, big outcropping of rock, you know, sticks way up in the air, little forest on the top. Yeah. And I climbed up the side and was writing poetry and being emo, and yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, in in my. Uh, Attempts to navigate my way around the rock, um, came to a, a precipice, tried to kind of straddle it to get across to this other portion of the rock, and uh, slipped, yeah. uh, fell 72 feet, seven stories, landed on my head on rocks, split my head open, moved my brain. Uh, the impact knocked the shoes off my feet, which I still think is crazy. I don't remember any of this. This is what people told me. Yeah. Um, so my memory goes from being on the cliff and you know thinking, woe is me, to being at the hospital and getting ready to get in the car and everybody's treating me funny and saying you fell seven stories yeah you've been in the hospital for a couple of weeks you were in intensive care they they uh they life flighted me there you know they told my parents hey his brain is swelling he's probably going to die tonight only way to do uh anything is to try to relieve the pressure we do that he'll be a vegetable uh so they probably used clinical terms i'm yeah, sure yeah. vegetable isn't one of those but if they go so what do you want us to do drill the hole or, yeah. or what my parents, being people of faith, put me in the hands of God. Mm-hmm. And miraculously, uh, inexplicably, illogically, my brain, for no medical reason, stopped swelling, 
comes back down. And I mean, everybody knows the rest of the story. I'm on your show. I'm only yeah. mildly retarded. <laughs> you know, that's a joke. Uh, so people are like, oh, but you know, <laughs> he probably came in a wheelchair. No, hey, listen. Um, so I'm, but I don't remember any of that. So yeah. um, put yourself in my shoes. I mean, I'm a senior in high school. I've been an outcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just trying to get out of this whole uh, educational experience. Right. And um, you know, my mom's talking about buying me a helmet. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, your head is recovering and everything, yeah, yeah. and I'm thinking that'll, you know, get me a pocket protector and a hearing aid and complete the set. Yeah, that's yeah, not yeah. going to, and she's like, well, it'll be okay, we'll put stickers on it. And yeah, like, no, yeah. And, yeah, so that's not good. <laughs> you know, and uh, so I am I am not happy about this. And they, they take me to rehab, yeah. you know, because they're trying to make sure that I'm okay. They're kind of, you know, putting me up on the rack and checking all the systems. And it's just reminding me that something traumatic has happened. I already feel uh, uh, flawed. Yeah. Enough. Yeah. I, you know, I don't want to hear about how I hit my head and how yeah. it might affect things. And yeah. they gave me this test, and I couldn't get my hand to hold still. It was like yeah. a fine motors test, yeah. and that freaked me out because what if that's just the beginning? Yeah. What if this is degenerative, right? You know, and uh, so I don't want to talk about this. And they're making me talk about this, and it all comes to this pivotal moment you're talking about, where a yeah. doctor says to me, "Ted, you know, you seem kind of callous about this because tough. That was that was the mask I was wearing." Yeah. yeah. No yeah. biggie. Yeah. Some people can't handle falling 72 feet. I guess I'm one of those guys. I might yeah. turn this into a sport. Yeah. You, know, like, you know, they're like, you're not taking this serious. And uh, the doctor says, you know, um, I don't believe in God, is the doctor speaking. Yeah. So he goes, but I have no explanation for why you're sitting here, why you survived. Yeah. It's a miracle you're alive. I'm taking this seriously. You should. Wow. And I tell people in that moment, there were, there were two things I knew immediately. I mean, just in a moment. You ever had where something happens and in a moment your whole perspective changes? Yeah. I knew why I was sitting there. I was sitting there because there was a God yeah. who was very real. Mm-hmm. And who really loved me, and and not only loved me. I mean, you know, he'd already paid the price for me on Calvary a long time ago. But this was the first time in my life, in a miraculous, undefinable, no question about it way, he came into my life and he intervened on Ted's behalf and he saved me. Yeah. And then the next thing I knew was, if he saved me, he must have a reason. Yeah. And I remember in that moment. I made a, a decision based on those two things. The decision I made was this. If God wants my life that bad, he can have it. Yeah. I wasn't doing anything with it anyway. Right. You know? And so the tour and, and, and all these things came out of this pivotal moment. Uh, not instantly. Uh, it started with this decision that if God was going to have my life, what does that mean? Yeah. Well, I've, I, I, I mean, I know it must mean more than going to church, because all the kids who make fun of me, they all go to church. <laughs> and, uh, okay, uh, it must mean more than that. So what does it mean? Well, it must mean I no longer live, but Christ lives through me. Well, that's great. I can quote a scripture verse. What does that mean? Yeah. You know, well, um, I guess it means that as I make decisions in life, I, I started to go around pretending, not pretending I was Jesus, I didn't wear a robe and sandals, but I tried to, just privately, I never said it to anybody, but I'm trying to, when I would make decisions, I would try to kind of hold myself to the standard of, would, would Jesus have done it that way? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if I'm Jesus, and if, or if Jesus is living inside me, is that, am I really living that out? And I, I came to the conclusion that I had no idea what Jesus would do, mm-hmm. until I knew what mattered to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And when I tried to figure that out, the one thing I could established pretty clearly love god love others okay uh his father yeah and his children yeah yeah 
And so if I'm going to live like Jesus would live, if I'm going to give him my life really, I'm going to have to care about what he cares about. I'm going to have to to love others. So I started looking around for the people that I imagined were even more uh, unloved than me in my Mm -hmm. own perception. Yeah. Wow, that was a very valuable experience. Uh-huh. Because all of a sudden I realized, I need to stop whining. I don't have it that bad. Man, I always told everybody, I'm the kid who sits alone in the corner table in the lunchroom. Well, that's not true. I sat with the other kids who would have sat alone. Yeah. But you know what? There was a table with the kid who sat alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That wasn't even my table. Yeah. So I decided, that's going to be my table now. So I went yeah. and sat with that kid and I started taking him to youth group. And it, it, all these things started to happen. And, 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 and as I kept trying to make decisions like that, uh, it's a long story, but I found myself uh, moving to Idaho. I found myself uh, accepting the job of uh, uh, being a youth pastor. The only qualifications I had was I was over 18, barely, and not on hard drugs. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, but the church, the qualifications they were looking for was you have a pulse and yeah. uh, you know, you're, you're willing to do this on Sunday mornings. And uh, so I tried to be a youth pastor and I tried to figure out what that meant. And I guess it meant I had a youth group. And so I tried to get the kids together to make a youth group. And the problem in our church was there was only two kids that were of youth group age mm-hmm. and they were brother and sister. So mm-hmm. they could do youth group at home. They really weren't interested in coming to church, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, to, yeah. to re-experience home. And uh, they said, they go, we need more kids. So I thought, well, okay, I'll, I'll go find where the kids are. And that led me to the cruise in this little rural farming community in Idaho. That led me to the boulevard where kids would drive up and down on a Saturday night and they would, you know, meet other people of the opposite sex and go have sex in the truck. Uh, Mm -hmm. And they would, you know, drink their 40s and wave at the cops when they drove by and they would use any drug they could get their hands on because for them there was nothing to make them feel anything but this experience. Their life became these few empty moments. Yeah of numbness, really. Yeah. And uh, it didn't take me long as, as a Christian who had figured out that God had a plan and a purpose for my life. He must have a plan and a purpose for their life. So I should care about these things. I'm supposed to care about what Jesus cares about. He cares about the kids on the cruise. Mm-hmm. He cares about the kids in the church, the people in the church, but they're there. Mm-hmm. His heart goes to the ones who are running away. Yeah. Yeah. And so I started to realize this. The kids uh, uh, became important to me because I had made a commitment to God that if he wanted my life that bad, he could have it. And so I tried to reach them and got nowhere. Mm-hmm. They didn't care about pizza parties. They didn't care about, uh, they really didn't want to come to youth group at all. They'd already heard the sales pitch. Yeah. And if Christianity meant religion, see, that was what I realized. That was where I was at mm-hmm. in the church. Yeah. If Christianity is what you've got going on between all of you, I don't want it. Mark me down as a no. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, shut up. Mm -hmm. Because it just reminds me of the time I was so desperate to change, and I was so desperate to find hope. I went down to the nearest building with a steeple. Mm -hmm. And I walked in, and apparently I sat in somebody's seat, based on the glares that I got. And I walked in, and I sat down, and some guy comes up to me with a little name tag and says, Son, if you want to be here, you better take that hat off. And I'm already embarrassed. I already feel vulnerable. I've already taken a risk Mm -hmm. coming here. And apparently I broke the rules. And I don't want these cold looks anymore. I just want to find the exit. Yeah. That's what church meant to them. So they don't want that. Yeah. And I got to where everything I could think of, I gave them Christian music. <laughs> that didn't work. Uh, you know, I, I tried all these different things. Got nowhere. And then I shut up. Mm-hmm. But I kept showing up. Because what could I do? Mm-hmm. Jesus cares about it. I didn't know what else to do. So I would go and I would sit at the Denny's on the boulevard. Mm-hmm. And just sit there. The kids would come in there after they'd done whatever they were going to do, and they'd you know get 
plate of junk food, and they'd all sit around, and they'd, I mean, that was the hangout. And after a while, they got used to seeing me there, and they started talking to me. And after a while, that led to relationship. And all of a sudden, they're not just kids on the cruise. They're names. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, they're stories. They're people. Mm-hmm. And in that experience and context of relationship, I find the opportunity to just speak into their lives as a real friend. Sometimes I got it wrong. But that was okay because we got to know each other as people and they get it wrong too so they can relate. Matter of fact, me getting it wrong helped. Because mm-hmm. then they didn't feel alone when they got it wrong. So that, that moved me towards people. And uh, that was my experience. That was this pivotal moment. Mm-hmm. You know, started with falling off a cliff, but really the next pivotal moment was understanding God's heart for his children and recognizing that, man, I'm still here mm-hmm. because I'm supposed to love his children. Mm-hmm. And I found that it wasn't what I said, it was what I did. Demonstrating the love of God rather than just declaring it. Yeah. Wow. So all these many years later, you get, oh, about a thousand bands a year that apply to be on the Extreme Tour. Yeah. And um, you explain to them that this is not a tour, really. It's a mission trip. Right. Uh, and they're going to go out to serve, and they're going to they're going to play in parks and on streets and under bridges and sometimes in buildings, but mm-hmm. they're they're targeting uh, they're targeting the people that uh, often aren't reached. Right. Uh, and not to run a crusade. Right. Right. But to be Jesus. Right. Demonstrating before we declare. Yeah. 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 And your heart is as much, what I've gathered is, your, your aim is as much to change the heart of the musician. Yes. Uh, as it is to reach the audience. Yes. What, what happened is, dealing with these kids, yeah. uh, first in Idaho and then around the United States, just as life happened and I would go different yeah. places and God gave me opportunity to reach out to the counterculture, yeah. um, we, we found that music was a really good language. Yeah. You know, it reaches where the spoken word will never go. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've come to believe that music even has uh, a supernatural um, anointing to it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so we started uh, inviting artists to join us in the effort to demonstrate the love of God. And we found that when you're talking to Christian artists, everybody nods and says, oh, yeah, that's what we're doing. And they come out, and uh, there is this, they, they have to get away from it being about their music. You know what I'm saying? The music's just a tool. Mm-hmm. So we started inviting bands to uh, come out with us and found very quickly that it wasn't a given that they understood that music was a ministry, mm-hmm. especially uh, towards the uh, uh, beginning of the decline of, of the music industry and certainly mm-hmm. the Christian music industry. Uh, at its peak, there was a movement to say that musicians were not ministers, they were just entertainers. Uh, and when we first brought them out, we we found that they really they were not wanting to be ministers. They didn't even believe it was appropriate mm-hmm. uh, that somebody asked them to be ministers. And uh, so they've come into this situation where we're playing, like you said, uh, under bridges and in skate parks and uh, the kinds of places you wouldn't normally go. And uh, it, it was a stumbling block for them that the kids were not there for their music. Mm-hmm. The kids didn't know who they were. They didn't know uh, uh, anything about them. It, the music was only a backdrop mm-hmm. for relationship. And uh, it exposed that they really weren't caring about the people they were playing for. Mm-hmm. But that's a great thing to come to an awareness of. Because yeah. then you can hopefully let the Spirit of God correct you. Yeah, yeah. 
you know. And so as we as we started taking bands out and putting them in these environments, we discovered very quickly that it was a wonderful, life-changing experience for the artists who were with us to bring to the surface things in their heart that God wanted to work on. They didn't even know were there. Yeah. And so uh, while we understand still in our heart with the Extreme Tour is still to take music beyond the walls of the church into these settings where these kids are already at and use it as a backdrop for developing the relationship I used to develop on the boulevard at Denny's, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and then to connect them with the local church. While we're doing that, there is this other ministry function of taking artists who wanted to serve God with their gifts, skills, and abilities and help them have um, epiphanies that lead to the conclusion that my music is a device that God wants to use, but I'm really supposed to be loving Him and loving others. My music's a way to do that. And it changes the flavor of their ministry forever. Some of them have gone on to have careers. Mm -hmm. You know, you've heard them on the radio, Mm -hmm. some of the artists that have been with us. Others, they go home and they go, you know, I don't know if maybe the calling really is to be in a band. Mm -hmm. I think maybe the calling is to start reaching out. Yeah. And they find ways to do that. And so having those epiphanies, we've just seen God really bless ours. That's where the objective came yeah. from, was to be a voice yeah. uh, at something like an industry gathering like GMA Week, you know, that says, seek the kingdom of God, not your own kingdom. Yeah. So how do people find out where your tour is going to land near them? Well, you can go to our website. Uh, our schedule is posted there, and that website is www.theextremetour.com. And uh, we have uh, the schedule for the American tour and the Canadian tour posted right now. And uh, probably in about the fall, we'll be posting uh, what we've put together for the other countries, Brazil, India, the Netherlands. I forgot somewhere. but Yeah, yeah. and these bands are going out. Uh, the concerts are all free? Yes, every concert is free. As a matter of fact, if you bring us in as a church, our, our goal was to come to churches uh, for free, to find the guys like me who were out on the boulevard, and they thought, man, I want to use music. And they called up a Christian agency, and were like, I can't afford that. So we said, well, we'll come for free. We'll bring a sound system, we bring skaters, and we run a skate competition, and we come for nothing. We'll, we, we copy youth with a mission. We sleep on the church floor, we eat potluck, we make it as easy as we possibly can. We'll help you walk through, like, getting permits and insurance and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, we learned so long ago with Aaron, you know, <laughs> you know <laughs> to walk through some of that. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, all the events are non-ticketed. We tell them, if you're going to bring us in, you can't charge. We're not charging you. You can't charge these kids. Well, I, I can tell you this. I was in Cheyenne, Wyoming, just a couple of weeks ago with a biker church. Thank you for hooking me up with oh, uh, yeah. Velcro and the guys. Uh, and they were pretty excited about having the, the, uh, the tour show up in the wilds of Cheyenne. Uh, well, it kills me that we're running short on time already. Um, I love the synergy between Samson Society and what you're doing at the Extreme Tour. Uh, this deep commitment to the centrality of relationships and authenticity. Yeah. Uh, I think this is where the gospel happens. It's the only place the gospel happens. Ted, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, I'm sure we'll have you back. Meanwhile, I'm glad that you've relocated from... Yeah. Uh, Deepest, darkest Oregon to, yeah. <laughs> to, uh, to Franklin, Tennessee. Glad to be here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Living here now. Another right. person I get to visit next time I yeah, come and please. sleep on the Larkin couch. There it is. <laughs> there it is. Well, we'll be back with concluding words 
in just a moment on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Nailed at the altar, my prayers make them tall, nevertheless, oh, nevertheless. I like to eat at my friend Cause's place, gumbo and red beans are thrust down my face. Still the main reason why I take so much space Nevertheless, oh, nevertheless I'd like to help Richard Johnson reveal Blood damaged homes off of Elysian fields I'm not much help, but it helps me to heal I need to heal We're back once again on the Pirate Monk Podcast. You always close the podcast, Aaron. What about me? Don't I ever get a chance to close the podcast? That's great. That was such a setup. That was such a setup. <laughs> no, it's I, feel, I feel tricked and tampered with. Nobody does it as well as you. Go ahead. Close us out. <laughs> hey, we want to hear from you. We want some more letters. We've got some good stuff being sent in, but if you have some questions or uh, we haven't got a topic in a while for a mini meeting, have we? No, no, no. We could use a few suggestions. Yeah, so a topic, uh, either appropriate or not. We'll use it. So send it in to... We'll take a risk. <laughs> where where do they send it to? Samsonpodcast at gmail.com. All right. We want to hear from you. Thanks again to Mr. Ted Bruin for stopping by. And we're going to have to have Thank him back because I feel like uh, our conversation is not over. Agreed. Agreed. All right. Until next time, Aaron, Nate, and Mondo. And our good friend Ted Bruin saying goodbye from the Pirate Monk Podcast. Give yourself time to heat.